Would you like to become a high-level influencer yourself? Well, don't miss out. Go over to thebookofpublicspeaking.com and grab your free copy of our latest book, not surprisingly called The Book of Public Speaking. This book will take you through what I share based on what I've learned as a speaker on stages for close to 20 years. It also shares interviews with some of the top speakers and speaking-related professionals that I've had the pleasure to spend the time with. And in, in addition, it includes quotes in the back by other speakers around why they get into speaking, their favorite speaking tips, and strategies they use to get more stages. So if you're wanting to become another and a better influencer, then feel free to grab this book. It'll teach you more than just speaking, but if you're wanting to get on stages and you leverage that as an influence tool, then look no further. Again, the book of publicspeaking.com. Now, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Excited to be back with the latest edition of the show and excited to have Tim Allison with us here today. Uh, just, you know, tiny backstory is Tim and I have known each other for quite some time now. Uh, I've been really admiring and, and loving what he's been doing in the podcasting world. I, I love his backstory, the fact that he decided he wanted to dive into podcasting at a time when some people would just be like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to retire uh, <laughs> and travel. And so I love the fact that he's still got that much drive. And so, uh, Tim, having said that, maybe what I'll do is I'll get you to tell us a little bit about your backstory and journey for those who may be discovering you for the first time. Sure, man. And I'll, uh, you know, when you get to my age, Corey, 62, that could, uh, I'll give you the really short Reader's Digest version of it. But, um, you know, I guess my main claim to fame early on was that at age 31, I was living in Toronto. I was married and had one of the best paying jobs in Canada, top 2% of wage earners, a couple of young kids. Um, and I kind of shocked everybody. I quit. Um, and my wife and I and our two kids, we moved back to um, my wife's hometown, a rural fishing village in, in uh, southern southwest Nova Scotia. I'm talking to you from, from uh, Saint Alphonse today and along the shores of Bay Saint Marie and, and uh, started my own, my own software business. Uh, you might, you might uh, uh, you'd be right if you concluded that most people thought I was pretty, pretty crazy and that it didn't have a lot of potential. But, you know, I, it, we, we soldiered on and grew that business. And um, so the last 30 years, I've had four different businesses. I hit age 60 and was honestly looking around, Corey, and it, you, you, you hit on it. An awful lot of people are either retired or, um, you know, strongly semi-retired type of thing and just doing hobbies and stuff. And um, I just got a burr under my butt about uh, what I think is, you know, um, what has become just a gigantic problem. And that is that we've got so many people settling for, you know, for ordinary lives. And um, so I decided to, as a legacy project to start what started as Screw the Naysayers podcast. And now it's kind of a, emerging as a global movement with, with both listeners and, and, you know, and clients around the world. And we're having a lot of fun and, and uh, yeah. I love it, Tim. So I'd be remiss uh, not to ask this question to kick things off. Can you share with us I mean, if I say one of yours, I would say maybe also a guest as well. But what pops into your mind when I say what is the, whether it's craziest or wackiest or most intense or what have you, a uh, story about a naysayer and somebody, whether it's even just dealing with a naysayer or how they overcame it, 
Is there anything that jumps into your mind? Because I feel like well, now you might have a couple that really. You know, the, the one that I, you know, <laughs> the one that, that immediately came into my head came from Seth Godin, you know, on the show. And it, it, was, it was his own internal naysayer because when, when Seth, who at the time already had, was the owner of an internet-based company, when the first time he saw the World Wide Web, he proudly declared that it would never work that it was too slow, that there were other things out there that were better than that. And in his words, that one single decision, which was based on an internal naysayer, cost him, he figures, at least a billion dollars. <laughs> and given his success in life, I can kind of, I can kind of, uh, you know, relate to it. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, there, 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 there are so many, I, you know, it's like, the ones that bother me, Corey, I guess I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get serious for a minute here because the ones that bother me are when I hear the stories of, of naysayers that are close family members, oftentimes a, a partner, a spouse, those kind of things. Um, and those are the ones that, you know, I sort of, they don't sit well with me. I mean, especially, I get, I get parents. I get parents being protective and not wanting their kids to, you know, I'm a parent too. You want to protect them. And if you can't visualize them doing you know, what they say they can do, or if you can't visualize yourself doing it, you want to protect them. You don't want them to get hurt. That's well intended. I have a problem with, you know, with, with, with a life partner um, that doesn't, you know, if you've got something that's really burning, you can tell something would bring you to tears. If, if somebody said you can't do it, mm -hmm. um, you got there. I'm just telling everybody out there that's listening. If that's ever happened, you've got the wrong partner. Just flat out going to say it. It's wrong. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I totally, I totally agree with that, Tim. And and I, I won't say enough to make this person identifiable, but there was somebody I talked to recently uh, at an event who was a speaker, and their partner um, was there, and and I think you know showing a lot of support on the outside. But when I talked to the person, they said, "Well, that's the outside," you know. And and then I got a little bit of the story on the back end, and. But yeah, there's nothing like hearing that because you don't want to say to that person, like, I don't want to say to that person, you got the wrong partner. I mean, they've been together a long time. It's not my place, <laughs> but, but you feel for them knowing, knowing all the stuff I had to go through to make it as a speaker exactly. and have some support. I can't imagine what it would be like to have the one person that's side by side with you in their head going, this is, you know, this is wasting our life or this is wasting our time or you're, you know, you're costing us money. You could be doing this job or that job. Well, That'd be so hard. You know where it really usually comes from, I, I guess, in fairness, is, is well, I don't know what it's fairness, but the issue where it's usually coming from is it's usually about money. It's usually about, you know, people going out and investing money in the pursuit of their dreams. And if you're not seeing this immediate big, you know, return on it. Um, and that just really is the, you know, the individuals, you know, has a, themselves has a very unhealthy relationship with money. You know, they actually see it as, th this is one of, I think, honestly, Corey, I think the, one of the biggest social problems we're facing right now, um, and in fact, I'm writing a white paper on this, like we've got a whole generation of, of folks, uh, you know, approaching, you know, late 40s, approaching their, you know, their early 50s, and saw a recent study out of the United States, a very credible study, the Urban Institute and a couple other partners, and they looked at people, when they turned age 50, they had steady full-time job working for the same company for at least five years. So, you know, good, steady job. Yeah. And they track those people from age 50 until anticipated retirement. 56% of them faced an involuntary job loss. 56%. And this is historical data. This isn't what's going to happen to somebody who's turning 50 today. Right. And of those 56%, only one in 10 ever made as much money 
as they were making before that job loss. And the average medium income at age 65 for the people, those 56% versus the ones that didn't get laid off was 14% lower. Now you take a look at your, your retirement plans that you're, all your financial advisors are giving you and you're given every spare dollar you have. Conventional wisdom says save, 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 save. Eh? So you don't have any money to invest in yourself. You take 14% off and stop contributing for the last 10 years of that program and figure out what kind of lifestyle these people are going to have. They're going to be desperate. Eh? And is, does anybody really believe that we're going to see fewer layoffs going forward than we have seen you know, in historically? Because it's going to get worse. Automation and artificial intelligence and outsourcing, all of those kind of things. Conventional wisdom is wrong. What people should be doing is investing in themselves. So if somebody wants to take some money and invest it in trying to create a side gig or to become a speaker or to pursue a business you know, that they think they, where they can make a difference, that's the only way you're going to have security. That you can, you have the the only way to be secure is to have the money, the, the ability to earn the money yourself. So all these people who are, they're they, it's crazy. They go into defense mode and they want to hoard their money and save everything for retirement and they try and protect the job, which they don't even like anymore. Because most people by the time they're fifty hate their job. They just they're not they're lying if they not everybody or they've settled. It's certainly not challenging and fulfilling. Eh? And they all they do is try and protect this. And that's the one thing they don't control. They don't get to decide if they get to keep that job or not. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, when you say that, um, it, it's funny because what it makes me think of is that even just the term job security is an oxymoron. It's crazy. Like, it doesn't exist. I mean, it, it may have existed back, you know, in the 50s and, and 60s. May have. My parents' generation. Yeah. You know, so who were retiring in the 60s. Yeah, like my grandfather, um, I mean, he he retired after the 60s, but I think, you know, a lot of people from his generation even retired with the gold ring and all that stuff. He decided to, he'd always been a carpenter, uh, but always been doing it kind of on his own. All the men worked on their own. Uh, but then he had a couple of strokes, like two back-to-back -back strokes, and decided to have more security. They they made it a limited company with four co-owners but he still was uh in in the in business for himself almost his whole life so he didn't necessarily have the job security i'm talking about although there were in a small town there were lots of people that needed carpentry work done and yeah. i think always would have had work but to your point um a lot of people that he may have grew up with may have had some job security but i think beyond his generation which is kind of the generation you're talking about um he may have been one generation behind or you know in front of that but still i think that's the last Last we've seen, we've seen of full, you can almost count on having a job for 35, 40. Absolutely. And even, it's interesting when I posted some of this thing, stuff on social media, uh, you know, about a month ago, Corey, I had a lot of 30, 30 to 40 year olds chiming in saying, I've already had involuntary job loss. Absolutely. You know, like, you know, like, so I personally, I think it's almost irresponsible not to have multiple income streams if you're, if you're an employee. It just doesn't make sense to me. You need to have side gigs. You need to have a plan in the side of your head that if I lose this job, what could I do? And, and I think most people should be looking at an exit strategy that would, because here's the thing, everybody thinks they're going to get to choose when they exit the workforce. And almost nobody actually gets to choose when they exit the workforce, unless you do it early. Absolutely. Unless you do it early. I mean, and, and that's about, that's why a lot of the stuff that you do and myself and others, but, you know, teaching people that they can make money speaking. And it's not just on the stage. It's the how you, it opens up other opportunities for you to, you know, do things. And 
the other thing that you know that that I think really cuts to it, Corey, is that I, I've been really digging into the the principles of career fulfillment lately. That's been you know where I've been you know delving my efforts uh, probably since we last spoke. And and I'm telling you, I've, uh, research has proven unequivocally there are more issues than this, but there's at least three things that once you're at least age 40, if you don't have all three of these things in your work, then you will not have you know fulfillment. You will not be truly fulfilled. You might be not unhappy. People seem to have invented that dis that new area that's somewhere between I'm happy or I'm unhappy. I used to think you could be one or the other. Right. But now I think most people are living in this world where the best they can say is I'm not unhappy. Right. I think that's pretty sad. But the three things, the three things that you you must have, your work has to have purpose, you know, which is coming, you know, relates to your story and your, you know, book that you've got coming out and all these kind of things. Because the research tells us that if our heart is not involved in what we're doing, then no amount of money and no job title will ever make us feel happy. And I certainly, you know, can testify to that. Top 2% of wage earners, the problem wasn't that I wasn't making enough money, but my heart wasn't in it. And there were, you know, other, but my heart wasn't in it. The other thing, the second thing that you must have, you must feel like you're working to your potential. Like, so take all, and younger people will really relate to this one. If you, a lot of, I, I, it drives me crazy. People, go, I've been told to go get all this education. And half these people, you know, my daughter's got a master's degree. Like, a lot, this is almost a new BA. And then they get their first job. And they're so overqualified for the work that they're being asked to do. You know, they could do it with one arm tied behind the, their back, the other one on, on their cell phone, you know, texting somebody without even thinking. When you're not uh, being challenged to work to your potential, you cannot feel fulfilled. Now, if for those of us, like, this is where a lot of us get tricked. Well, I climbed the corporate ladder fast, like I had early success. So I wasn't aware of that because when you're trying to go faster than everybody else early on, yeah, it's always challenging. You're trying to do things fast and better and, and all that kind of stuff. But then the pyramid of the, the employment world, the pyramid narrows. And all of a sudden you get slowed and the promotions aren't there and all this kind of stuff. And then the work gets boring as hell. You know, it's almost more dangerous for that to happen than it is to learn early on. Well, it sucks to have a job that you don't, where you're not challenged. So you have to be heart sent, you know, purpose, you have to be, you know, be challenged. And this is the one that nobody talks about, but it's been unequivocally proven that if, if you do not reach a point in your life where you can think beyond just you and your family, and you're thinking about service to others, that you, you and I both know this, and a lot of your listeners will know this, but there's this intrinsic feeling we get when somebody says, man, you know, you changed my life. You changed the trajectory in my life. Or they give a real example of it, you know, and when you get that, you can't get it anywhere else. And so those are the three things. And so I, I wish that when it comes to career planning, starting in, in high school, we'd be telling kids, okay, you need to make sure as you make your plans for the future, you may not know what it is. And it's great to go try a bunch of stuff because how can you really know? But you're, you're going to have to be working at something you care about that, that is going to challenge you and that will ultimately allow you to, to serve others. This is why when you survey, Gallup surveys say like 87% or whatever this year's number is, I don't know, but the number of employees who are di you know, uh, disengaged at work and some 17 to 20% are actively disengaged, which means they get up and go in trying to destroy the business that's paying them. It's because they don't feel any connection to whatever that business is doing. There's no connection to service. They're not feeling, you know, fulfilled. Like in other words, they don't or, or challenged and their, their work doesn't have any purpose. They're just doing it to make money. Boring. It, it, it's so interesting, Tim. There's a couple of things uh, I think I should unpack there. And one of them, when you mentioned about the, the Gallup survey, 
I was actually, I did deliver a talk years ago for um, uh, Junior Achievement, which some of our listeners will be familiar with. It's basically young achievers who go into entrepreneurship while they're in high school to learn about the process of it. Uh, and they've, they've uh, proven that when a kid does go through that program, their grade points will jump to, to like two uh, letter points. So like from a D to a B. Um, once they learn about business and, and what that all involves. Um, having said that, Ceridian Canada, which again, some people will be familiar with, but they're a payroll company, but also um, they do training as well. They were speaking on the same bill and they shared the results that they had found in a study. And I think it was similar to what you said almost, uh, identical I would say, but it was 23% actively engaged, 30 uh, some percent actively disengaged, so more actively disengaged. And then the lion's share was just people that just show up for a paycheck. Yeah. But to your point, it was like 70, basically, what is that? Over 70% aren't engaged. You know, one way or whether they're trying to destroy the company or they're just showing up for a paycheck. Uh, so that, you know, I, I share that a lot in my talks because especially the, my customer experience talks. And also, uh, I talk about it in the book, in fact, now that I think about it, about the idea that um, lifelong learners are leaders. And I've discovered that the highest of achievers keep investing in learning, whether that's oh, time but having said that, what, how I've taken that study that I heard from Threading Canada, as I said, so how does this apply to you if you're either not the employee, and it could be, you could be an entrepreneur, how does this apply to you? If we know, oh, I forgot to add the big thing. What they said, Ceridian figured out the number one way to get employees engaged was by providing them with learning and growth opportunities, like training and development. Exactly. And so I said, if we know that, shouldn't we, even if the company doesn't provide it, or even if, we don't have, even if we're running our own company, shouldn't we actually set up our own learning plan, even if it's informal? And, and I believe that's important. I believe, you know, Jack Canfield, I shared with you on our interview that he talked about in the book, uh, he shared how, um, uh, what he does every day is he spends an hour, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes learning, 20 minutes uh, meditating, and 20 minutes exercising. Well, that 20 minutes learning, he's doing that seven days a week. Exactly. And so if you think of that, and of course, the key thing with somebody who's into professional development, you're spending more than the 20 minutes a day. It's just that he gets his 20 minutes no matter what. But I guarantee you somebody like him, he's interviewing somebody later that day for an hour, he's learning like we do. Exactly. I would say, Tim, this is a side note, but I would say some weeks, you and I probably get 15 to 20 hours minimum learning. Easily. And, you know, and so that's the one when I do my hour of power, that's the easy one. So, but my point of this is for not, it's not easy for everybody. But it's interesting to know that when you look at all the employees that aren't engaged and to know the number one way, and there's other ways, but the number one way to get people engaged is by providing them with learning and growth opportunity. It tells you how crucial and important it is. So well, I like to wrap it up. What's crazy about it, Corey, is that it's not exactly brain surgery. And, you know, and I'm old enough to remember how this transition happened because I, like, I, I entered the workforce, you know, early 1980s. And it was still a time when corporations were, for the most part, investing heavily in, in, in professional development for the training, for their employees. And what happened is a couple of, you know, transitions took place. But what, 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 what emerged over the coming couple of decades and became rampant is that the universities kept pouring out more and more and more workers, you know, because that whole education system is designed to create corporate employees. Absolutely. And over time, you had this situation where, where the supply of employee potential employees so exceeded the demand for the jobs that you started to see turnover and you know so people would jump for a better job and employers realized well it's no big problem replacing an entry level because we'll just go you know people are desperate and we can pay them less quite honestly yeah. and so what it did is it, you know the corporate world looked at this opportunity to suppress wages and said why waste money on professional development so what i saw happening in, with my very eyes is that instead of 
professional development used to be available for just about anybody. And all of a sudden it became, unless we targeted you as somebody that we saw as a real high potential we wanted to keep forever, you got tons of, of training, but everybody else got nothing because they're just going to leave anyway. And then they'll just take their skills to some other, you know, other company. And, you know, but now they're, you know, the old saying, they're reaping what they sowed. Absolutely. People, now they're struggling like hell, even in this, in this, envi in this environment where you, you know, where, where people are employed, but not always employed very well. But the good employees are all freelancing now. They've just said, oh, I don't think so. You're not going to tell me what time of work to show up in the morning and what time. You're going to tell me what work needs to get done. Oh, and by the way, I didn't like your environmental policy. You did something nasty last year, or I saw you just laid off a bunch of 50-year-olds under some pretense. And so I don't think I want to work with you, no matter how much you're paying me. And they're crying. These same corporations are crying that they can't get access to talent. And I'm just saying, stick it to them and, you know, and keep doing it. I make no bones about it. I mean... These businesses really conducted a, an exploitive approach for, you know, for the better part of 30 years of dehumanizing online job applications and we're not going to invest in you and we don't care if, if, uh, if you leave, we'll just get somebody else. So it's interesting, Tim, and I, and I want to, I have a couple of other areas I want to go as we, before we start to wind down. But um, one of the things I wanted to mention is something you just said is about the, because uh, I, don't, I don't share the story often, and it relates to exactly what you said, and probably a similar path to you in this, at least this one way. Uh, the only difference, ironically, is I was in Nova Scotia at the time, uh, <laughs> where you were wanting to move to from your perspective. Yeah. Um, but I actually um, had my last two jobs in the corporate world. Yeah, I was going to say three, but no, my last two uh, jobs in the corporate world were both uh, into the six figures. So they were in between, I'm going to say between 100 and 200,000. Yeah. But these are working corporate jobs, uh, both of them actually selling software. And so I worked for a company in Nova Scotia. Uh, this, this one here is the one that's probably most significant of the two. Because the second one, when I left it, I was ready to leave and it wasn't a fit for me. But I truly left it to start my own business. So I can't compare it. Um, I mean, I can compare it to what you did. But I want to explain for people to understand what you said earlier, which I think is so crucial about the fact that no amount of money will make you want to stay somewhere where you're unhappy, or at least uh, no amount of money will make you happy where you're not happy. And yeah, exactly. so here's the, here's the example. I work at this company. They're not even in business anymore. Ironically, uh, I, when I moved away on from them, I think probably about less than a year, probably nine months later, I heard they went out of business. So oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a good synchronicity I left anyway. But I went to work at this job in software for um, – it was a base salary, and I, and I didn't, I had been, for lack of better words, uh, using the screw word, I, I was screwed over once in my career where I went to a place where I thought I was getting a base plus commission, when I, and I found out it was, uh, what do they call it at the time? I forget the term, but it was basically a roll through your commission so that you had to cover your base before you got paid, oh, and I found after I left my job and left a, actually left an opportunity for a management role and everything, and then it was like, well, I'm not going to go back. I'll make this work. And I stayed there for a year and a bit. But when I went to this next the job I'm referring to now, and we were talking about the uh, pay, I was like, I need to know, okay, is this, a, is this my guaranteed money? Or is this, yeah, you know, do you take my commission off this? And she said, the best way I can explain it is if you get out of bed and make it here to the office, you get paid that. So it was guaranteed money. So my point is guaranteed uh, six figures before I started selling, Tim. And then I got commission on top of that. So these and in Nova Scotia, as you know, that's a pretty yeah, that's serious money, serious money yeah. today. And it certainly was then for sure. Yeah. And it's software is one of the only industries I think at the time you could get that in sales. But the point is, here's why I bring this up is I left a position where I was 
in the same range, but I had to work my butt off and it was mostly commission. Like, so I was on a small salary and commission. So I left that to go to this other job, gave up my territory, gave up everything. So meaning if I had went back to that company, I had to start from scratch. So I went to this new job and I was getting paid this money. And the first day uh, I was told I had to get to, um, this will mean nothing to anybody else listening who's not from Nova Scotia, but you'll understand this. I had to get from a place called Eastern Passage to Burnside and then downtown Halifax um, by 8.15, but the two offices I had to drop stuff off at didn't open until 8. Oh. <laughs> and so one of, one of the places was the new job. So yeah. I get there, I drop off the stuff late, but and so I cracked that. I dropped it off, let's say, I think it was like, maybe I got there like two minutes after 8. I skipped the other place I was supposed to go all together, got down to the place, it was actually HP where I was going. It wasn't HP I was working for, but we were yeah. reseller. Uh, I got down to their headquarters at about 8.25, so 10 minutes late, and we hadn't even started. They said the 8.15 thing because the things actually started at 8.30, so I wasn't even late. Anyway, the next day or two days later after the training was over, I get back to the office of where I'm actually working, and in front of my, all my new coworkers, she said, I want to bring up something right now, and, and you know, so people know not to do this in the future. Uh, you know, Corey was uh, late the other day, dropping off his, or late to his training, and Corey, I want to ask you why that was. That's the part of all my coworkers. It's my first yeah. actual day in the office. Yeah. And I told her the reasons, like I said, what happened. And she said, that's not the reason. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't let it up. And so finally she said, the reason is because you're a disorganized person. And I hadn't, I hadn't even, I was barely officially <laughs> started working for them. So I'll tell you, Tim, I was already finding a way to leave. Oh, yeah. And so what happened, this is why I bring this up for people, is I was making this income that everybody's like, would drool, you know, drool over to say, I wish I could make that income and I would do anything for it. And what I'm telling you is I didn't sleep hardly a night for 30 days until I found a new job. Yeah, I was miserable every night. I was dreading going into the work. So what happened, here's the irony, is I went back to my old uh, branch manager and convinced him to create a new sales management job for me at the old job. <laughs> I but here's the key thing, what a lot of people will blow their mind. Even with that new title, it's still you got paid on what your salespeople sold. So the bottom line is I left more money for less money. Sure. Anyway, I just wanted to go there because well, I you know what you're hitting, Corey, and I, I, let me know if you know if we need to get on to other topics. But what what you're hitting there is that another thing you you know that I think you need to be fulfilled at work is is your whether it's your own business or working for somebody else. What you're doing has to align with the things that you, you the things you value, and you know you were hugely disrespected there. And I know that you and I like respect is a, is one of my highest order core values. I, I, I can't be happy if I'm working in an environment where I, I don't feel respected or if I don't, and, and I think this might have been even more so, don't like and respect the people I'm working with. You can't like and respect somebody who treats a new employee. Even if I was one of the other employees in the room that way, that day, I would have, that would have instantly poisoned the well. I mean, you know, and that's the other thing. People will sometimes struggle. Why am I unhappy in this job? I got all this money and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, take a, you know, an exercise I tell people to do is take a piece of paper, write the word I value and make a list and then just say, okay, if you're unhappy, what on your list is, is in con something's going on in your life or your job that's in conflict with that, with what something that's on your list. So like if, you know, for example, if, 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 um, if you find your company screwing over your customers and integrity is a really high order value to you, it's going to bother you. If you think that they're in it for the money, but not to help the customers, it doesn't matter how much money they pay you. It's going to upset you. If you value your family, and this is the one where we always have to make some compromises, but if you're being forced, your schedule is such that you're never seeing your kids grow up and you're always leaving before they're up in the morning. You're always getting home late and you're traveling 
all the time and you you know and you, you, no amount of money is going to going to compensate you for that and it again it's just these are things i wish the hell somebody told me because i agonized for pardon me i agonized for a couple of years Corey, before i quit that job i was asked earlier on a, another podcast interview today like if there was one thing i would tell my younger self at 31 i know you've done a tip talk on that but for me uh, it would simply be that to, to, to understand the importance of figuring out what those values are and to understand that if, if you're in a situation where those values are compromised, you have, it's not a choice about whether you fix it or not. You, you're either going to fix it and, 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 or you're going to try and go on and you're going to end up with some major health scare. You know, you're going you're gonna to you know, think about committing suicide. You're going to get anxiety. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to get into substance or drug abuse, those kind of things. That's what happens. Absolutely. We're in a situation that those are the drivers and it's not a, it's not a choice. Like it's, it's that or you fix it. And if the company, if you can't fix it there, then you must leave. You must. And it's, it's what I love about the way you, you've said in the past to me, I think you said it to me just the other day, but you know, the power of, of knowing of your why being stronger than, you know, than your fear is, is what allows us to go do the, you know, the things that we really want in life. So if you understand what those values are and, and you say, well, I don't compromise on integrity or I don't compromise on family, your why is really solid there, you know, and in terms of understanding that, well, I have to make a change because of that. So now the other fear about money and stuff like that, no, it's not big enough, you know? Yeah, no, I love that. And I have to say, Tim, you asked, you know, you said, stop me if I, if I, if you want to switch gears, but I'm glad we stayed there for an extra minute because that I value exercise or I value list, that, that, I mean, uh, that, you know, I talk about doing your own personal mission statement, uh, writing down an exercise to see who you're surrounding yourself with and seeing if you make, make, need to make changes. The I value list to me, that's just as powerful. So I'm glad you went there because, um, because that, you know, that, that'll probably work its way into me giving you credit and sharing that at times in the future. I love, I, it. I love that. I love exercise. It. Um, so now Tim, one of the things, and by the way, I'll add one thing and it's a good segue for me to ask you the follow up question to it. But when you said about the things you won't, um, won't uh, basically compromise on. Yeah, or compromise. compromise yeah. Um, do you, you know who probably who knew, uh, know who Jerry D is? The yes. Mr. E Show? So I think of an interview, and that's this is my segue to ask you a question about interviews. But mm -hmm. uh, when I was interviewing Jerry D a number of years ago, he said that one time he took a gig, a well paying gig, on Halloween night, and his daughter, I think daughter, his child was two years old. So it was the first Halloween, but it was the first Halloween that the child actually recognized they were going out for Halloween. And he got home and saw all the pictures and his wife told him all about it. And he said he made the decision that day on a family occasion that means something to him. It doesn't matter if somebody offers him $500,000 and drives exactly. him back up and drops off the money. He's not interested. Exactly. And so, and that, so he figured out that why was bigger than anything else. Exactly. In the world. You know, and, so and, I love this, that. and, and it's, it's, these are the fundamental things that, you know, can, can make such a huge difference in our ability to feel fulfilled and happy. You know, because if you, if you, if you're, you, you know, we, people say it other ways, you have to learn how to say no. And I, I agree, you know, but really it's understanding which no's are going to be most important to you. I'm like you, like my, you know, we're Canadian, Corey, John, you know, my son played hockey. And when I started my own business, he played hockey for 12, 12 years on the weekends. Now my business was global. I was traveling a lot. I didn't miss a hockey game in 12 years of weekends. I always flew home on that Friday and then drove the three hours from the airport to get home. But I never missed a game. And, and uh, it sometimes cost me a lot of money because on the Monday, I might have to fly right back where I was. Absolutely. But I, you know, I didn't care. And, and there are, these are the things that, you know, it, it sounds, uh, you know, almost uh, too easy to say it. But I mean, you know, you can't put price tags on, on things like that, you know. And 
set your boundaries, set your boundaries of the things that are important and then create a career. This is why I'm a big proponent of being self-employed. I mean, the thing I'm proudest of is none of the financial success. People are always talking about how did you scale to 10 million and all that. And I'll talk about that. I'm happily sure of that. But I'm proudest of the fact that I created a career and a series of businesses actually that have aligned with the things that I want in life. And they've even changed at times because now that I'm 62 and the kids are growing in a way of doing the podcast and mentoring and all this kind of stuff, but it's life plan first. How do I structure the career around it? And that, if we would only teach people to, to look at it, that, and if employers would only figure out a way to do that with their employees, they would have the most loyal employees on the face of the earth. No one would ever leave. Well, th th you know, this is a, this is a, a kind of a full circle thing to the conversation, even about, and I didn't talk about this in the book. And it's, there's, there's things as I have conversations now, they're like, why didn't I include that in the book? Why didn't I include that in the book? And that's always going to be the case. But the part about the why could only be so big. Otherwise, it would look like another book about why. I wanted it to be interesting. But having said that, uh, this is one of the things that I, I always think about. Can you imagine if not just, in, we always say, well, not, don't always say, but people that have lived this say, imagine if we could learn uh, in school about the importance of finding our why or our passion or our purpose. So that's one thing. But to your point, Tim, I've said often, if an employee helps you find your why or your passion, A, as long as you do have them, you might not have them for life because of that. But as long as you have them, they are going to work harder than anybody else in the world has ever worked for you because only 5% of people, they say, this is the estimate, find their passion in their life. And if that's the case, or their purpose, or their calling, and if that's the case, imagine if you're the one employer that somebody works for that helps them find that. Yeah, yeah. It changes everything. So I heard uh, we had a person come in one time, or actually I did a training session one time for a client. And one of the people shared the story that she worked at The Gap. And she said The Gap had always told them, you know, whether you're here for a season or not, we're going to train you, whether it's for us or for the next people. Uh, but we want to get the most out of you while you're here, but give you the most we can while you're here for the, set you up for the next thing you're doing. And so she remembers that to this day. You know, she worked sure. at a job during high school making minimum wage. And people say the same about Disney. They work at Disney and they still talk about, you know, they work at Disney when they're 18 and they talk about that job more than the corporate career they held for 10 years. Yeah because of the ideals they learned while they were there. So back to the, the point I was gonna ask you about, but yeah, as far as that, that's one thing in the book that um, I wish I would've went into the idea of, you know, helping your employees find their passion and what that would do for your organization. I mean, it, it could change everything. But um, having said that, what I was gonna ask you about is when we talk about interviews, can you tell me, Tim, is there anything that pops into your head, similar to the question I asked earlier, but is there anything that pops into your head as the one thing that you took from an interview that we'll call it a game changer or something that you applied to your life after you took that from an interview and said, wow, I'm so glad I learned this in an interview. Yeah. I've taken so much from my show. Um, you know, Corey, so it, it becomes, it becomes hard to, you know, to, you know, to grab one person. I think, you know, I, I'm, it might just because of the, the currency of you know this, I talked to a guy named Dale Dupree, um, who has a company called The Sales Rebellion, and he's a bit like you. He he, he used to be called the copier, copy warrior. He he was a copy salesman, worked in his dad's company, and just turned the whole industry on its head in terms of the sales metrics. And instead of like you know the the big funnel type of thing, he just microed down and all this kind of stuff. But um, Dale made it you know just did said such a short little quote on my show that just really resonated, um, and it's only three words but he said, time is currency. 
And I'm telling you, when you really think about it, and I've heard it from so many other people, you know, uh, on my show, the, the, the problem is, is that the vast majority of people, including probably the 95% who never figure out their why, <laughs> have prioritized money over time. And it's just, it's, there's, it's so ironic because the, the fastest and the, the route to an abundance of money is, is, is by maximizing your time and, and using it in the pursuit of things that are really important to you. And, um, and I, and I, I just think that, that, um, you know, I just wasn't, that's what I've been doing my whole life, Corey, but I wasn't, a, I wasn't aware of it. I, I was aware of it in this context. I had big health problems as a child in terms of a lot of broken bones and stuff. And I knew that there was going to get a point in time. I probably reached it right now where I can no longer do a lot of international travel and stuff like that. I just can't walk, you know, distances and stuff like that. Um, so I compressed a lot of things in, I was in a hurry to do things. Um, but you know, um, that was maybe one of the greatest gifts I ever, I was ever given. And then to hear it reinforced, you know, uh, you know, a lot on the show, um, it just brings clarity and it causes me to want to just say to people, I mean, the other realization I have, and I, I, I I'm not sure exactly, I, th I guess Ron Malhotra would be the guy who spoke most to it, but you know, people have such unhealthy relationships with money. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, all of this, these stupid sayings like money is the root of all evil. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't, it's selfish to want lots of money, things like that. I mean, people that, you know, I've learned on this show more about the subconscious mind than I ever knew. Mm -hmm. And so even all these people who desperately say they want more money in their life, they've conditioned their subconscious mind to think that it's bad. So guess what? Your subconscious mind resists every effort you make to make money, even if you say you want it and you feel it and you're desperate for it and all that, you can't until you sort of turn that relationship around. That's maybe even a more, you know, a more significant one, but it's a long list. I mean, like you said, and I'm 62, you know, and, and I've learned more in the last year than the last 20 years. And, you know, in terms of the, these kinds of interviews and talks and we're living in it at a time when it's available to anybody. There's no excuses anymore. I just don't, I don't buy it. Well, and here's the other thing, and I'm going to open the book. I told you about what I was going to yeah. do. I say, I, we gotta go, I'm going to say six minutes left because yeah. uh, I got to jump on something yeah. else right away. But um, uh, when you said that, a lot here's kind of a misnomer or a myth is the whole idea of there's not enough time in the day. A lot of yeah. people say to me, I'm not joking, Tim. You, this may or may not surprise you. A lot of people reach out to me and say, Corey, I hope you're taking care of yourself. I see all the things you're doing. So, you know, I'm worried that you don't get enough sleep and all this. A lot of people, this, and my, the only person that can validate this being true is my girlfriend. Uh, but she would tell you, unless I'm doing a major launch, like I'm doing right now with the book, but unless I'm involved in a major launch, I do not work weeks, weekdays, or sorry, I'll correct that. I do not work weekday evenings yeah. or weekends, yeah. ever. So I only work five days a week, your regular work week, uh, what we call a traditional work week. That, and I, and I, for a while, I was taking Fridays off, so I was only working four days. But when people see the output of stuff I'm doing, they think, oh, there's no way he's getting enough sleep. But here's the other thing. Other than the fact that we have a two-year-old now, Tim, and that's interfering with my sleep, <laughs> I'm in bed. So I can tell you this part. I'm in bed more than eight hours every single night. I might not always sleep eight hours because of a two-year-old, but sure. I'm in bed. So, but what I'm getting at is when people see my life and say, there's no way you can be doing a lot of this stuff and still have time for yourself, the fact that I can and I still have time tells me that they could be, you know, they could get a lot more done with their time. Oh, everybody. People are saying that. So yeah. I, I just thought I'd share that. Um, so what I said I was going to do, Tim, is I was going to open up the book. I haven't planned this. I'm going to, anybody watching a video of this can see, I'm just going to open a book to a page and I'm going to look at what I think makes the most sense to ask you about. And I'm just going to ask you your thoughts on whatever thing I open to. Uh, I was going to open right there to the um, quotes part, but I think I'll open to an actual something that I'm, I'm talking about in the book. 
Uh, let's see here. I got to find it out. Uh, oh, it's now how interesting is this? Um, so this is related to what we were just talking about. So based on years of research, I would say the way we manage our day has more impact on our ability to achieve our biggest goals than any other action. We all have 24 hours a day, yet some manage five to six times more than others in those same hours. I'm convinced it's because they know how to remain product or proactive and when to say no. Yeah. And so it's funny because this, I don't know, that you couldn't have written that better. No, you? you couldn't have. But what, yeah. so, you know, we already kind of talked about that a bit, but you said one thing about the saying no. So I'll ask you, because I have, in the book, I teach a system, I told you about this yesterday, about uh, once you can figure out what your mission statement is, that, that knowing what your mission statement is will help you decide what's a yes and a no. My question, I guess, out of this, Tim, or you can take a different direction if you want, but how do you decide what to say no to? Yeah. Or well, you can comment on the quote itself. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, certainly the first thing is, is my filter starts a little higher than that. Um, I, and it may sound crazy, but I always filter things against my core, things against the, that list of core values where I've written the I value. So family, friends, health, respect, integrity, and the environment. I'm not going to do anything, no matter how much money's involved, if, if uh, anything doesn't feel right there. That's my, and that just happens now because I've just conditioned my mind to do that. You know, um, I, I will not, much like, uh, um, and I can't remember the name of the gentleman you gave the example, but, you know, I'm very aware of uh, family priorities. So, I mean, um, I'm not taking things around, you know, holidays. Um, I'm, I rarely, I've done the odd occasional interview on a Saturday because somebody's in a different time zone and it's a different day or something like that. But I'm going to say twice a year, maybe I'll work Saturdays and Sundays unless I feel like it. Like if something comes to my head and I want to write it down, I'll go do that, but I'm not scheduling any, you know, any work. Um, and, you know, because at this stage of my life, I mean, uh, travel is, is less convenient. Um, it's not, convenience not the right word, it's just harder. So, you know, um, I'm going to prioritize and say, well, you know, what's, I hate to make this sound selfish, but what's in it for me, and that doesn't have to mean money, mm -hmm. but is it advancing something that, I, like if it's a chance to go speak to 2,000 millennials about, you know, you know, shattering uh, self-limiting beliefs, I'm down and I, I probably pay you for it. I'll try and say that, you know, but I have to know that, you know, that the return there aligns with something that's important to me. Um, you know, I mean, and usually by the time you go through those three filters, does it, is it something that really consistent with everything you want to do? I'll, I never chase money. Money's going to be the last thing I think about, although I will insist on it. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you want me to go do it, well, I'm, you know, that, cause that's a measure of respect and all those kind of things. But I don't know whether that was, that was helpful, but I mean, no, it, it's not hard. It was, it, it kind of further um, validates to me that you and I are on the same page. Uh, in the book, uh, I talk about how, um, I, I talk about how I decide what a no and a yes is. And you, you probably remember from our interview, I said, my mission statement is to be the guy that motivates, donates, inspires, educates, and entertains. Yeah. And to your point, I do the exact same thing. My filter starts at, is it going to be more than three of those? Yep. If it's not, it's probably going to be an easy no, or a maybe at the most, if it's yeah. three. If it's less than three, it's probably a no. Uh, if it's going to be four of those, it's an easy yes with no regrets. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if, you're, if somebody's going to invite me to an event and there's a component where they're going to, let's say, donate $100 uh, to a charity of my choice, let's say. So that's a donate. Let's say I can go there and I know I can entertain their audience. They're okay with me adding some funny. Let's say I know that I can um, educate them. You know, they're okay with me teaching as well. And I can motivate and inspire. If that's all of those at this certain event, let's say, that's an easy yes. But if somebody says, I want you to come to our event, we're going to charge for tickets. We're not going to pay you anything. We're not going to donate any money to charity, et cetera, et cetera. That's yeah, no. every day of the week. Yeah. And 
I, by having this system, I've been able to turn down interviews that I would have jumped on in Harpy TV interviews, and I've said yes to things that I never would have said yes to before, and I've never had regrets since I figured that out. So for me, to your point, like your value system, I guess my mission statement is my part of my value. No, system. it is, and I would have. And when I gave the example of the millennials, that's the same thing. Yes, I mean this is what I. This is this something that's core to why you know my my purpose and my why type of thing. It is, it, it, and you know, it, you have to make room in your life to do the things you want that you really care about. If you clutter it up, which most people do, I can so relate to your comment about people being concerned about your time. But the other thing is we have this stereotype that, you know, that people think that if you're projected to be working hard, that it's a bad thing. Don't judge somebody, you know, let them make their, you know, their own, you know, their own judgments about, you know, the stage of their life and what's important to them. And like, as you say, you're in the middle of a book launch. I mean, there have been times with, with you know, getting screwed the naysayers off the, off the, uh, um, off the ground where I worked hours and evenings and stuff because but I wanted to absolutely not because somebody was telling me I had to 100% so Tim Allison this has been an absolute pleasure uh, very last but important question is how can people either check out the show connect with you where would you know is there a hub where would you direct yeah them? the hub is screw the naysayers.com um, the podcast is by the same name so if you know wherever you listen to podcasts screw the naysayers but everything's on screw the naysayers.com and also you know really active on uh, you know on LinkedIn um, you know these days and so people should feel free to reach out there it's Allison with one L Awesome stuff. And we can see it behind you too, which is great. Part of your <laughs> it helps. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. So, Tim Allison, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I salute you. And uh, we will just uh, wave the flag for all the great work you're doing in the upcoming months. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to grab your free copy of The Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.